from Australia, broadcasting around the world. Around the world. You're listening to the Mitch Maroney Show. Here's your host, Mitch Maroney. Okay, welcome everybody. Today we have our guest, Kate Carnell. She is the small business ombudsman for Australia. And it's going to be a really interesting podcast to learn what the Ombudsman does and how they can help and, yeah, go from there. G'day, Kate. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Mitchell. That's good. That's Lovely good. day in Canberra, apart from being uh, starting to get a bit cold, I have to say, but there you are. Yeah, we'll be getting a bit cold over there now. It's actually not too bad here. It's been raining and extremely windy the last couple of days, but it's not too bad. Yeah. Now, tell us a bit about yourself. I've been in the role as the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman, which is the world's worst name, by the way. <laughs> but anyway, there you go. It is a mouthful. Uh, it is a mouthful, absolutely, and you can't even abbreviate it very well because it's a spiffio. <laughs> now, a spiffio, you must admit, you know, uh, so it doesn't work at all. So, Mitchell, I'm a pharmacist by profession and I think you should be able to treat a spiffio with drugs. You know, that's what it sounds like to have some dreadful disease. I'm a pharmacist by profession. I bought my first business back in 1981. Yes, I was, you know, I was at primary school. No, I wasn't, but I was pretty young. And so I ran my own businesses for, for a number of pharmacies over a number of uh, years and ended up getting pretty involved in industry associations, things like Chambers of Commerce and Pharmacy Guild and that, you know, long story short, that brought me into the political arena. I ended up being in politics for eight, nine years. I was Chief Minister of the ACT, which is sort of equivalent to Premier. Territories have Chief Ministers and states have Premiers for all sorts of reasons unknown to anybody. Um, So for five and a half years. And -hmm. since then I've been running industry associations in a range of areas including Beyond Blue and always keen to talk about mental health issues. As a teenager, I had anorexia. So, you know, I have lived personal experience as I have with some of my family and others over the years. So that's a passion. But I want to talk to you about the role I'm doing now, the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman. I was uh, CEO of the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry before this role. And this role came up because... It was um, a new piece of legislation that was passed through Parliament under the auspices of the then Small Business Minister, Bruce Pilson, who believed really strongly that small businesses and family enterprises needed a stronger voice, a stronger independent voice Mm -hmm. in Canberra in the federal arena. So the legislation was passed and the legislation is unusual. So my position is statutory. That Mm -hmm. means that... I'm independent. I don't report to the government of the day, but I do have a piece of legislation that fairly obviously I'm required to comply with. What that legislation does is gives me two roles. One is an advocacy role and one is an assistance role, more traditional ombudsman type role where we help small businesses that have got problems with other businesses, big businesses, or with the federal government or government-related entities, you know, banks, those sort of things. So we do that. But the advocacy part of what we do allows us to have inquiries into things, to provide advice to government on, you know, policy direction and so on. 
And so that's why we've done a really large amount of work in things like bank contracts, unfair contracts, payment times has been a huge part of what we do. And I work really closely with other small business commissioners around Australia, David Eaton, obviously in Western Australia, but South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales, and just recently Queensland all have a small business commissioner that works at a state level. So look, I've just got the best role in the world, really, because I get to work on behalf of small businesses on issues that are important to them. And I've got a level of independence, which allows me to, well, I always say our boss, you know, in my office, our boss is small business and family enterprise. Mm-hmm. Our boss isn't the government. You know, if we say things that, that uh, the government doesn't like, that's fine, as long as it's what small businesses you know, are telling us and what they need. So uh, aren't I lucky? And, of course, I work really closely with accountants and bookkeepers and the other important people that are part of the whole environment of small business and are essential to small business success. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds great. And, I mean, it's always good to have a big body, especially in small business, that can help support you, especially unfair terms or you know, where there's a large disparity in power, I suppose. Mum, dad, sort of small business that's worth contracting to BHP, for argument's sake. Well, it's really hard, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's it's hard on your own to get justice, but uh, I have to say it's amazing how often my letterhead, which has sort of got Commonwealth crest at the top, you know, and gets attention, one might say. Yeah, yeah, I could imagine. Yeah, if I got a letter from you, well, not that I'm a big company, but a letter from you guys, it would definitely get my attention. <laughs> well, well, well so, there it even does it BHP and Rio and all, you know, a whole range of really big companies that, yeah. uh, you know, do pay attention to what we say. So we'll go into the advocacy side in a minute, but from a like helping small business side, I suppose what is the more common things you guys deal with? We deal with payment times. In other words, you know, People haven't been paid, I suppose. At the moment, that's an escalating problem with a large number of big businesses that certainly have their own cash flow problems, channeling that down the supply chain to small businesses, which, of course, is totally unacceptable. We've also got... So people not being paid in a reasonable time frame is real. Contractual disputes, so things like I ordered... uh, refrigeration for my my cafe it's arrived and it's not what I ordered you know that sort of of issues we also look after the franchising code the horticulture code the dairy code and the oil code so there's a range so we do a number of franchising issues again power imbalance issues between franchisors and franchise and franchisees so it's a wide range of issues, some intellectual property issues, I must admit. They're complex areas, but often if you can just bring it down to what the real problem is and work with both parties, we use mediation as our method of getting results. Sometimes we can get results just by writing a letter and saying, you know, why haven't you paid or could you please tell us your side of the story, which is what we normally do fascinatingly, it's amazing how often the CEO had no idea that, you know, a bill hadn't been paid or 
particular behaviour was happening and it's fixed quickly. If not, we use mediation, at times conciliation, those sorts of approaches to help the two parties get together. We use professional mediators. It's amazing what can be achieved. And, you know, one of the things, you know, was sort of tattooed on our forehead is keep these disputes out of the court system. Yes. Because one thing we know is the court system in Australia is expensive and it's long. It's something that's, unless you happen to be BHP, you should stay a very long way away because it'll send you broke. Yeah, well, pretty much. It's like On my personal side of things, I did have an issue with a very large company a year or two ago and it ended up going legal and all the rest. We did yeah. settle outside of court, but a lot of it, honestly, was due to they've got deeper pockets than me and it's just not worth me pouring money in and risking essentially everything. And, you know, from their side, it is a game. They'll drag it out. They know they've got more money than, you know, a small business would. That's right. They will essentially try and put you in the ground for it. So Absolutely. And remember, you know, from their lawyer's perspective, every day in court is another fee. From the lawyer's perspective, the longer you can pull this out, the better it is for them. We perceive we've failed if disputes we have end up in the court system you know, we've got any any number of dramatic stories about even quite large amounts of dispute. But one of, say, a bigger company owed a little company $400,000, which for almost all small businesses, that's big, big money. That's a huge amount. Um, they knew that all they really had to do was make it last long enough for the $400,000 not to be worth the time and effort in the court system. Yeah. And, you know, that's just... Anyway, later on this year, we're going to release a paper on access to justice because I have to say, I think, you know, what we've just talked about shows that court system is actually failing normal Australians. And I mean, individuals and small to medium businesses. It's just too expensive and too slow. Yeah. So we need a different system. Yeah. So we're working on that. Yeah. That's, you know, well, that's, that's good to hear. It was one, a big learning curve for, for myself going down that, but. It was really, you know, I thought we had a strong case and all the rest, but from a strategic point of view, it just wasn't worth the risk. It's sad, Mitchell, because, mm. you know, you say you, you had a good case. You, I bet you had a really good case. And the fact that the system really excludes people without deep pockets or, or a yeah. capacity to wait around for four years or something, you know, we've got a failure in that yeah. space. So no matter how good your case is, a case yeah. can still take four years, even if it's the best case in the universe. Yeah, and, um, you know, after that, like in my case, I won't go right into it, but it was our business line. So our business yeah. line number got transferred from one entity to another provider, yeah. of which the new provider lost it and cut it off for three months. So yeah. no clients could contact us, no nothing. A bit disastrous in business, yes. Yes, yes, especially for, you know, small business. And that was three months after I bought a practice with that number. So, mm. look, it was an interesting time. Um, obviously, we got through it and, and, and all that. But, you know, as I said, it was, it just was uneconomical to take the risk of, you know, legal fees and all of that for the recoveries because 
No, it's, it's, look, it shows what the problem is, but that's a really good example of the sort of stuff we do. It's surprising how often people do lose phone numbers and internet connections when you change providers. So, you know, we look after cases like that. But importantly, from an advocacy perspective, we look at, you know, what's happening in the marketplace and look at what the issues are, you know. So if the court system is not fit for purpose for almost all cases in the small business arena, particularly when there's big business and small business involved, then we've got to do something about it. And it's a bit similar with payment times, with big businesses going to, you know, 65 days end of month, 120 days end of month. Small businesses can't manage that. But they also can't argue the toss either because you can't not deal with them, you know, because they're the biggest game in town. Exactly. And on that exact payment term issue, I have clients that um, they deal with mining companies more, their welders and fabricators side of things. Yeah. And that's their payment term, 60 days after the end of the month. And it might say they buy the steel by the time they weld it and install it and stuff, and say two months later, issue the invoice, and then like another two months, three months. So, you know, sometimes they've outlaid the cost for the job five months before they actually get paid for the job. And they've got to hold the cost of the employees and everybody for that five months, you know. Well, you know, you know very well that, you know, cash flow is king in small business. That's what uh, I'm sure you do with your your clients. And, you know, it's it's always tragic, which you would have seen, to see businesses go to the wall, not because their business is necessarily bad, but simply because their cash flow can't actually sustain the business or business growth. And, you know, that is unfortunately is what happens, you know, if you've got some big clients that are paying really slowly and all of your outgoings are really quick, you know, your staff, your landlord, you know, your ATO, you know, all the things that, uh, you know, that cost money. And, you know, it's sad how often you see businesses really get to a point where they're trading insolvent simply because big guys don't pay on a reasonable timeline. And as a consequence of that, normally... Obviously, the money has to come from somewhere, so they'll approach the bank, get line of credits, etc. Which, yeah. you know, is is fine, and that's part of business. But the longer they're start taking a pay, obviously, there's interest and holding costs of that fund, yeah. and then it just starts yeah. sort of snowball and and can become a real issue. So those are the sorts of issues we deal with, and of course, right at the moment, like everyone, we're you know up to our ears in issues surrounding COVID nineteen and government policies in this space and trying to get clear information out to small business. I have to say, I think, you know, state governments, federal government have done an amazing job of attempting to get support packages, you know, or support programs out really quickly, which is something the government doesn't initially do very well. Yeah, Um, exactly. Like most of the time, any sort of legislation of this size takes years and it goes before Parliament gets knocked back for changes, etc. Two weeks to a month, it was in and it was happening. So, yeah, it's not perfect, but I, I'll give them hats off to them. They, they made it happen. I think that's one of the things that we all have to focus on a bit, that, yes, there'll be changes. There should be. I mean, we're lobbying Treasury right now for some policy changes in JobKeeper. Mm. The, you know, things that have just fallen through the cracks or aren't quite right. Yeah. But I know I've got some 
you know, some pretty ordinary feedback from some people in the business community saying it changes all the time. Well, you know, if you're doing something this quickly, inevitably you're not going to get it right the first time and what we really need is for them to be willing to change it, to address these things. So I must admit I, I just ask people to bear with the fact that a range of these things will continue to change as they should to try to shore up holes yeah. that weren't obvious. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And because obviously normally they would have consultation papers, there would be all different parties reviewing it, seeing loopholes, etc. Yeah. But just because of the sheer time that they had to do it in, that didn't happen or didn't happen to the degree it normally does. So, yeah, as a consequence, there is going to be holes people miss, etc. But if they're yeah. willing to adjust it and amend it, which it seems like they are, that I think is great because it's out there, it's working, and then they're going, okay, this area needs to be tweaked, so they'll go tweak that. But at least it's out there and it is helping business. Oh, well, $130 billion, you know, is a lot of money. But for businesses to be able to keep their staff on board or at least, you know, their full-time, part-time, long-term casual staff on board to be paying them often, you know, not as much as they were paid before, sometimes more than they were paid before, but, you know, a reasonable amount of money to help, you know, everybody keep, you know, life and limb together really while we get through this scenario is... Well, it's just incredibly important, as you would know, because I must admit, I think accountants and bookkeepers, you know, maybe brokers and others, you know, have really stepped up here because the amount of work in this space and keeping on top of the various things that are available, various levels of government, is incredibly difficult. I mean, I'm sure you've found that because certainly we have, and I don't work in that area where you're dealing with clients that need advice right now, this minute. It's, a, um, it, it's different to, like, in my whole experience. Normally when, you know, the government changes a tax law or whatever, they'll change it, it'll come in the next financial year or in, say, three months or whatever from um, budget night, etc. So you've got a bit of time to get your head around how it all works and all that. But, again, purely because of the time restraints of it, they're announcing stuff Monday night at 9 o'clock Tuesday morning. My phone's ringing going, advise on this and I'm like I'm still reading it but I haven't released the actual full papers you know but overall I think everybody's trying their best and really trying to help yeah there's probably a few mistakes that happen throughout the time but overall I think I think it's it's been very beneficial Uh, everybody you've been listening to the Mitch Maroney show Mitch Maroney show stay tuned for more